We continue our uh, book study of uh, Hebrews. We've been in the book of Hebrews now for about the last seven or eight months. Uh, we are now in Hebrews uh, chapter 11, that great hall of fame of faith. And uh, I realize I won't, will not complete the message today. I hope you picked up a copy of the sermon notes. Uh, but we'll at least uh, begin and then we'll conclude this message uh, next Sunday. But I want to begin with a review of what we've already uh, discovered in Hebrews 11 uh, about faith. And since this is a review, and we've already covered this truth, uh, this will be very, very brief. But I think it's important uh, just to uh, lay this foundation again as uh, today we'll begin to embark on uh, looking at the life of Abraham and that great uh, faith that God gave him as he put his trust in God's promises. So look there, that the very first sheet, that, that front page, that's all review. And then, of course, on the back side, uh, which is entitled uh, Being an Imitator of uh, Abraham's Faith, that is the new material. So let's look at the review. First, we looked at three characteristics of faith uh, found in Hebrews chapter 11, these uh, early verses. And we saw, number one, that faith is confidence in God uh, to keep His promises. Uh, Hebrews 11.1 says that faith is the what? Assurance of the things hoped for. We discovered that that word translated assurance in the Greek text literally means uh, to stand under. And it refers to a foundation that undergirds a building or a title deed documenting possession. Faith in God provides what? An unshakable foundation to stand on in life. And faith is our title deed guaranteeing us to the possession of all that God has promised us in His Word. The second characteristic that we saw about faith is that faith is focusing on the unseen. Faith is focusing on the unseen. It is the ability to envision God fulfilling His promise in the future, which produces hope beyond the sufferings and restrictions of the present. Hebrews 11.1b says faith is what? The conviction of things not seen. Now, this does not mean that faith is a blind leap into irrational optimism. The object of our faith is the living God. And that living God has provided us a historical record that He keeps His promises. So when you and I come to a crisis of faith, we are to become very rational at that point. We are to simply uh, weigh the human impossibility of our circumstances over against the divine impossibility of God breaking His Word, and you come to the only conclusion you can come to. I'm going to put my faith in God for whom nothing is impossible. Amen? We might not see with our physical eyes the fulfillment of the promise right now. But in our mind's eye, we can see it as we have that unwavering conviction that if God promised it, 
it is as, as good as what? Done. Amen? The third characteristic of faith we saw is faith is pleasing to God. Uh, in uh, verse 2 it says, By faith the men of old gain approval of God. And uh, verse 6 says, Without faith it's impossible to please God. Faith is pleasing to God because like any parent, God values the trust of His child more than anything else. When we trust Him, we are affirming His integrity. But on the other hand, there's nothing that wounds the heart of God any more than when His child fails to trust Him, fails to put our confidence in Him. We then looked at the steps to faith, which are so beautifully simplistic, even a young child uh, can understand them. Uh, Hebrews eleven six says, But without, without faith it is impossible to please Him. And for he who comes to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. So what are the steps? First, I come to God. Which implies what? Total and absolute dependence upon God. The second step is, I believe that God is there. Which implies what? The assurance that God is real. And then I count on God to keep His word. I have confidence that God will reward my faith. And again, we so often try to make things like faith so complicated, but it is so beautifully simplistic. I come to God, dependent upon Him. I believe in Him, sure that He's real, that He's there, that He's present. And I count on God to keep His promises that He'll reward faith. And then we looked at several examples of faith in verses 3 through 7. We saw in creation... That faith witnesses to the invisible fingerprints of God on all of creation. That there has to be a designer behind what? The design, a creator. And uh, in light of the uniqueness of man, there must be a creator who created man in his image. We saw with Abel that faith worships God on his terms. Faith is rooted in the sovereignty of God. Faith is submitted to God's authority to serve his purposes And so faith worships God on His terms. With uh, Enoch, we learn that faith walks for God's pleasure. It's not about us, it's about God. And it's as we live for God's pleasure that we find our true delight and joy and fulfillment. And then in Noah, we saw that faith works to accomplish God's will. Faith is always committed to advance God's plan, God's purposes, God's kingdom in this world. And then last Sunday, uh, when we celebrated the Lord's Supper, all I did was share uh, some of my own personal reflections uh, concerning faith uh, that I've learned over... uh, over 44 years of uh, walking with God. And I shared with you that uh, all of these six truths will be affirmed as we walk through Hebrews chapter 11. And the first, first reflection was that faith never demands that God act in a certain way, but gives God the freedom to arrange the circumstances of my life in the way that He deems best to display His glory. In other words, Faith leaves the outcome to God, knowing that God is all-wise. great example of this is Paul in prison. And in Philippians chapter 1, this is what he writes. He says, this is my earnest hope and expectation. This is what I'm hoping for. This is what I'm expecting. 
here in prison, that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that Christ, even now as always, will be exalted in my body, whether by what? By life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. That is a man that is totally surrendered to God. Totally committed to the exaltation and glory of God and trust that God is big enough to arrange the circumstances of his life in the way that God deems best to display his glory and work for the good of his child. The second reflection that we looked at is faith does not always change things the way I want them to be, but provides the courage to face things the way they are. At the heart of Christianity is a cross, not an escape hatch. Faith never promises escape from suffering, but provides the courage to embrace suffering as a means to reveal Christ to others, to reveal Christ to the lost. We look there at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We have this marvelous treasure of Christ in these frail clay pots. And we're afflicted in every way, and we're perplexed, and we're persecuted, and we're knocked down. In other words, God uses adversity to crack these frail clay pots. Why crack them? To release the light. And that's why Paul says, I am always caring about in my body the death of Jesus. Why? So that you might see and experience the life of Christ. So God often uses the backdrop of our suffering to display His beauty and His glory and His light that others might be drawn to Him. Uh, The third reflection, faith is not passive acceptance of suffering, but learning to be content with the unexplained. When I can't trace God's hand, I can trust God's heart. And we looked at the sufferings of Job and how Job argued with God, became mad with God. He, He demanded an explanation for God, for what was happening. He just didn't understand. Did God ever give him an explanation? No. And we talked about the fact that when we hit times of adversity, when we hit times of crisis, God typically doesn't give an explanation. But what does He give? Promises that we can latch hold of. Promises that become an anchor to our soul. That enable us to endure the suffering. And to know the power of the resurrection in the midst of that suffering. To walk in newness of life and again be that light for Him. And then look at the next reflection. Faith never looks back to the cause of adversity by asking why God, but always looks forward to God's intended end by asking what's next, and what's next with excitement and with enthusiasm. And folks, I can tell you, after being in the ministry for 44 years now, I've never seen any value in times of suffering and crisis to ask why God. It will just lead you down a path of disappointment, of resentment and bitterness. It's at that time you need to put your faith, your trust in God. That your future is as clear to Him as your past. And He's going to be faithful to you in that future. And you trust Him that He has an exciting next chapter in your life. And so don't give up on God too quick. And then the fifth reflection. Faith does not remove suffering, but trust God to transform the suffering into a tool to work for my good in His greater glory, just like He did for Jesus. Romans eight twenty eight and 29, for we know that God causes what? All things. Not that He causes everything that happens, but He causes all things to what? To work for our good, 
to those who love God and are called according to His purpose, for those He foreknew, He what? Predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son. And then the last reflection, the goal of faith is to bring me to the place where I can say, God is enough. That is the ultimate goal of faith in Jesus Christ. That's the ultimate goal of God when you placed your faith in Christ as your Lord and Savior to bring you to the place through growth, through walking with Him, where you could say in the midst of anything and everything, God is enough. And I'm content with Him. Okay, now look with me and we're just going to sort of introduce this today. We may hit the first point and then we'll finish it up next week. Imitating the faith of Abraham. Imitating the faith of Abraham. We're going to be focusing especially on verses 8 uh, through 10, Abraham's initial call. Uh, um, we're going to sort of tie it into verses 13 and 16. And then once we cover this section, we're going to continue to stay on Abraham, but look at uh, the issue of the birth of uh, Isaac and that great miracle and Abraham and Sarah's faith in relationship to that. But as you know, uh, the Bible holds up Abraham as the greatest example of what it means to live by faith. Uh, the Bible calls him not only the father of the Jewish people, the Bible calls him the father of all who believe, of all who put their faith in God. Abraham's faith provides the pattern, the prototype for men uh, of all ages. And earlier in the book of uh, Hebrews, we were exhorted, you may remember in Hebrews chapter 6 verse 12, to be imitators to be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And then what example were we given in Hebrews 6? Abraham. Imitate the faith of Abraham. Now our knowledge of Abraham dates back to the 19th century before Christ. And the record of his life is recorded beginning in the latter verses of Genesis chapter 11. Going all the way through Genesis 25 which records his death. He was a citizen, before God called him, he was a citizen of the city of Ur, spelled U-R, Ur of the Chaldeans, which was located in the region known as Mesopotamia, between the Tigris and the Euphrates rivers, in what is today southern Iraq, southern Iraq. The city of Ur was near the Garden of Edom, Eden. It was 140 miles from where the great city of Babylon would later be built. It was a very fertile area, and culturally, the city of Ur was one of the most advanced and wealthy cities in the world at that time. They had an elaborate system of writing, sophisticated mathematical calculations. They had um, wonderful educational facilities, thriving businesses, and very elaborate buildings. But despite the cultural advances, the city of Ur was in the bonds uh, of dark paganism. They worshipped Nemu, uh, the moon god, and the worship of this uh, particular god... Uh, included the practice of human sacrifice, which uh, Abraham's own family would have been a part of. Abraham was a sinful heathen who grew up in a pagan family and in an unbelieving and idolatrous society. But God, out of His infinite love and mercy for the world, 
called Abraham to follow him, that through Abraham all the families of the earth will be blessed. And let me just take the opportunity once again to emphasize what has already been emphasized in the song that Karen Billy shared. Folks, when God saves an individual, when God saved you, He was not just thinking of you. He was thinking of a lost world. When He saved you, He was thinking of your family. He was thinking of your neighbors. He was thinking of those that you work with. He was thinking of the opportunity that you could have through ministry to impact a lost world for Christ. And we'll see this in in the life of Abraham. God says, I'm going to bless you in order to what? To be a blessing. I'm going to love you so that through you that love can be imparted to a lost world. So turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12. And uh, let's look at the initial call of God on Abraham's life. And then we'll draw three lessons from this. And uh, today we'll only look at the first one. And then we'll come back next Sunday, look at the final two. Look at uh, Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives, and from your father's house, to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and make your name great, and so shall you be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham went went forth as the Lord had spoken to him. And Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarah his wife and Lot his nephew and all their possessions which they had accumulated and the persons which they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan. Thus they came to the land of Canaan. Now folks, just pause a moment and think about what we just read. How old was Abraham when God called him? How old? 75 years of age. He was married. We assume living in a very nice home. It's obvious he was wealthy, having a lifetime of accumulated possessions. And God tells him to leave the only country he's ever known, to leave the comforts of his home, to leave his friends, to leave his relatives, and go where? To a land that God would show him. He had no road map. He had no clue where he was going. And he had no idea how long the journey would take. You know, you can, you can literally visit the ruins of the city of Ur today. And if you stand on top of those ruins... You can look to the north, and do you know what you see? Nothing but open desert. Then you can turn and look to the south, and you know what you see? Nothing but open desert. Then you can turn to the east. Guess what you see? Nothing but open desert. And then you can turn to the west, and what do you see? Nothing but open desert. Not a very inviting prospect. And also keep in mind, in Abraham's day... uh, 
they didn't have any uh, desert van lines to, to make the journey uh, easy or smoother. And can you imagine, can you imagine now the discussion that Abraham would have had with his family explaining what he was about to do? Can you imagine the discussion that he had with his wife's daddy, Sarah? I mean, they must have thought a tent peg had popped loose in his mind, that he had just gone absolutely crazy. So what is the first aspect of faith that we need to imitate from old Abraham? And this is where we'll begin and end this morning, and then we'll pick up here next week. And here's that first point. The heart of faith listens when God speaks, trusts when God promises, and obeys when God commands. Amen? The heart of faith listens when God speaks, trusts when God promises, and obeys when God commands. And I, may, and I might add, we do all of that even when we don't fully understand where we're going to end up. It's just one step at a time. And matter of fact, you know, think about it. Uh, what a wonderful service to share this because uh, what's been happening at Highland Mercy Met, it's a beautiful picture of this. This is a testimony of a group of folks that are developing a lifestyle of listening when God speaks, of trusting when God promises, and then obeying when God commands. They don't exactly know where it's going to lead, but they know that our God is great and that He will exceed all of our expectations. Uh, look at Hebrews uh, chapter 11, verse 8. Uh, it's there in your sermon notes or up here on the uh, big screen. Uh, it says, By faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed. And how did he obey? By going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. In other words, his obedience was rooted in God's promise, confident that God would fulfill that promise. And, it says, and he went out not knowing where he was going. Not knowing how it was all going to work out. Not knowing what the end result would be. But he was willing to trust God. As I mentioned earlier, he realized that God has the ability to see our future as clearly as we see our past. And that God is the one who holds that future, who controls that future. And as long as we stay close to God, we'll be able to fulfill His plans and see His promises accomplished in us. What does Romans ten seventeen says? Faith cometh by what? Hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Faith starts. Where does it start? Say, I mean, how do I, how do I grow in my faith? How do I develop faith? Well, it starts with listening to God's Word. And that implies what? A submissive attitude. I'm listening in order to learn it, and not only learn it, but love it and to live it. I love 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. This shares the attitude that we should come to God's Word with. Uh, this, this shares with us how we're to listen to God's Word, whether we're reading it, uh, whether it's through a lesson or through a message in a, in a sermon. It says, we constantly thank God that when you receive from us the Word of God's message, you accepted it not as the Word of men, but for what it really is, the Word of God which also performs its work 
in you who believe. And when you look at that verse, it says, we constantly thank God when you receive from us the word of God's message. That word receive means when you welcome it, you invite it. In other words, you're not resisting it. You're, you're running to it. And you're saying, like Jeremiah, thy words were found and I did eat them and they became the joy and the rejoicing of my heart. There's a desire to digest God's word, to take it in, to let it be implanted, to become a very part of you. And then when he says, and you accepted it as the word of God that effectually works in those who believe, that word accepted is decamai in the Greek text. And that means you accept it with the motive to apply it, to appropriate it. To step out in obedience upon it as you trust God. Now, do you remember what we learned? Do you remember what we learned in Hebrews 3 and 4, chapters 3 and 4, about the children of Israel's failure to enter the promised land at Kadesh Barnea? You know, in chapter 4, verse 2, it says that the word that they had heard from God, the promise that God had given them concerning the promised land, it says, It did not profit them. Why? Because it was not united by faith in those who heard. In other words, the heart of faith listens when God speaks, but it also trusts what God promises. And then James tells us what? But prove yourselves to be what? Doers of God's Word, not hearers only, who deceive themselves. See, faith is not complicated. God speaks. We listen. God promises. We trust. God commands. We obey. So I need to ask you this morning. Are you listening? Are you listening to God's word? You have a hunger and a thirst for God's word. Knowing God's word is that only unshakable foundation to stand on in life. And as we put our faith in God's Word, as we put our faith in God's promises, that is our title deed guaranteeing us all that God has promised. So are you listening to God? And if you're listening, are you trusting? Are you leaning on God? Are you relying on God? Or have you become so eaten up and distracted by worry and anxiety that you've lost sight of God? You know, I've shared with you before that, that uh, the word anxiety in our English Bibles is merimneo in the, net, in the uh, Greek text. And it literally means to divide, to, stru- to, to, to distract, to tear away. And all worry and anxiety is, I get so focused on what might or might not happen in relationship to my circumstances, I lose sight of God who is present, who has given me wonderful promises to see me through. And so, yes, are you listening, but are you also trusting? Are you turning away from your circumstances to put your trust in God? When you hit that crisis of faith, as I shared earlier, are you being rational by coming to that situation and weighing what you see as the human impossibility over against the divine impossibility to break His Word? And then are you coming to the conclusion, faith is the answer? Because nothing is impossible with God. And I'm going to trust Him. I'm going to trust Him with my wife. With my husband. With our relationship. I'm going to trust Him for my child. I'm going to trust Him 
in this crisis of health or finances or whatever it might be, I will trust Him. And then if you're trusting Him, are you obeying? Obedience is the proof of the pudding, isn't it? You know, the best definition I can give you of faith is this. I try to keep things simple. Faith is nothing more than trusting obedience. Trust and obey. You can't tell me you trust if you're not obeying. And obedience is the proof of the trust. And so, yes, are you listening? Are you getting in God's Word? Getting in God's Word, are you trusting it? Are you relying on God's Word? Putting your confidence in Him? And then are you stepping out in obedience? Let me leave you just with a great quote uh, by Martin, Martin Luther, the Reformer, who summed up Abraham's example of faith many, many years ago. He says, it was hard to leave his native land, which is natural for us to love. It is hard to leave the friends, to leave friends and their companionship, but most of all, to leave relatives. And then it is clear that with his obedience of faith, Abraham gave a supreme example of an evangelical life because he left everything and followed the Lord, preferring the Word of God to everything and loving it above everything. So again, my question to you as we conclude this morning, can you truly say that you prefer the Word of God to everything and that you love it above everything and that you truly have left everything to follow Jesus? That you've surrendered to Him in total abandonment that I'll go wherever you lead, and I'll do whatever you command. Father, thank you for this marvelous example uh, from the life of Abraham about the true life of faith. Father, give us grace not to make something that is very simple, complicated. And Lord, may we not run from this truth, but may we come to its light for our our own darkness and failure to be exposed, that we might be cleansed by you and that we might come to you in a renewed faith to listen. To listen to what you have already spoken in your word. And in listening, to trust what you've promised us and in trusting you, obeying you. And that like Abraham, we would be willing to take that first step of faith, trusting that you will bless us to be a blessing to others. And Lord, let us never miss that truth, that you saved us, not because you just loved us, but you saved us because you loved a lost world. And true biblical faith will always result in spreading that blessing to others. So, Lord, give us grace as individuals, as families, as a church family, to do exactly that. Help us to see that we are the body of Christ, that we are to walk as Jesus walked, to seek and save the lost, trusting that you will empower, 
trusting that you will give the grace, trusting that you will give the wisdom, trusting that you will provide the harvest. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. As we enter a time of invitation, uh, of course, this message has been directed to believers uh, to put our confidence, our trust in God. Possibly you're here and you've never put your trust in God. Uh, maybe you're like old uh, Abram uh, before God called him. Uh, you're just one of those unbelievers that has never really given God the, uh, a thought. Or maybe you're very, very religious, but you know that you've never actually put your trust and reliance on what Jesus did for you uh, on the cross. That you're still trusting in your own efforts, your own works to gain God's approval. Well, I'm encouraging you today to put your trust in Jesus who came to this earth to die for the penalty of your sin and rose again uh, to invade your life, not only to forgive you, but to take control of your life and to give you a new direction, a new plan, a new purpose to impact this world for Him. So I ask you to join hands with us as you would embrace Jesus uh, with that goal to love Him and to impact our world uh, for Him. If you've been visiting in God's leading you to unite with our church family, come forward and do so. And let's get busy in, uh, God, with God's work uh, to see a great harvest of souls right here in and through uh, our church. So I'll be standing here uh, to uh, receive anyone that has a decision of any nature, but you please stand as the invitation is extended. <laughs>